0: Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Stage number two, uh, Bob Knowles on Open Trailer Podcast. I'm Andy Austin, your host, and along with Pete Silva, we continue to dig at one of the most fascinating characters, not only in Maine racing, but, I mean, really in Maine in general. In this episode, we pick up where we left off, which is talking about cars on 139, not passenger cars, but race cars. But we also get Business 101 from Bob Knowles, and I don't care who you are, you can benefit from it. Some other things Bob's doing today, and just overall, I mean, a great presentation. Again, thank you to Stephanie Burgess for setting this up. This interview would not have happened if it wasn't for her. And again, Pete Silva, this podcast can be a trip, and it's all made possible by you. So thank you for supporting us through Patreon. It's patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. We also are a product of Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Now, the club does not incur any of the costs associated with the podcast, so the the Patreon goes uh, directly to me and the cost to make this happen, but certainly Maine Vintage Race Car Association carries the history of racing in Maine. I've been involved with the club for 10 years now uh, in various incarnations, currently as president. So it's, um, you know, it's real important to me that these stories get told and your support allows them to be told, whether it's through Summerfest, it was Cassett Speedway, the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame, or anything else that we do every little bit helps and mainvintagerace.org has all your information stage number two uh bob knowles on open trailer podcast let's get to it Did they stop traffic on 139 during the races, or was it just regular traffic going
1: by like we would go by on that road? Well, I have one photo that I'd like to get redone. I do have a picture of it for you, and I'll show it to you. It's a traffic jam on July 5th, 1950. Cars coming each way. Just a mess. Mm. But we were collecting the money out front at at the gate then. And I changed that around. I put it so that you you drove into the parking lot, and then you bought your ticket at the at the booth, the ticket booth. Were you the first promoter to do that in Maine?
0: Because it seems like it's a pretty radical idea. It's what everybody does now. You park your car and then you go and you buy your ticket. They weren't. Nobody was doing that back then. Then
1: well, they did it at the ridge, and then the ridge did it the right way. Because remember, they parked across the street. And they did it that way. And yeah. you cannot watch the races
0: from your trunk. That's right. right. That <laughs> so used to be that, in the trees. Get rid of the
2: trunk, people. That used to be in the trees across the street in front yeah. of that house. Mm. You could see people hanging off the branches over there during the right. race. Who owned that house, by the way? Well, the
1: Hanscoms did, and I tried to buy it a lot of times. And when I said I earlier about this Bruce Chandler, the attorney there, probably that's why he was in there for him saying, I said to Bruce I understand the house next door is going to be over the racetrack is going to be sold and how I got it I don't know but anyway so he picks up his phone because they had the Augusta you know connection and he says I have Bob Knowles here that owns the racetrack and he said we understand that there's some people interested in that house next door for the land and stuff and she said, Yes, there is. And she says, What's he willing to pay? And I said, 5000 And so she accepted. She said, That's a good deal for us. We'll take it. I bought 100 acres, and that's where I built the park. Mm. Had the, the, but then when I owned it, would you believe, like the first or second week we were there, Mrs. Bellow's car, remember? Uh, the Bellows from Winslow. Yeah, the
2: nine car. Eddie Bellows and Cecil Bellows. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She was crossing the road and got hit and broke the Oh, brakes. I remember that.
2: I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: you know, then I had my guy from Pittsfield, my uh, policeman out there in traffic, you know, getting out at night. And somebody kind from Fairfield Center got him. Came, ran right both... Both of our exits. You know, we've
0: talked about unity quite a bit. Uh, that isn't the only racetrack that that you've been involved with. Um, tell me about the the organization of what is now known as Spud Speedway.
1: Well, we built Spud, another guy and I, and we got scrapping a little bit, and so I and it was my money that did it and all of that. But why way up there? Well, it's probably because my father used to be up there a long time ago. Well, I used to say there's four people you get your money out of up there. The regular people, the base, the Canadian, and the farmers. and They had a lot of all of them. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And then the base, well, we had a lot of interest from in the base when we first went up there. But, you know, I made a bad decision when I let Wayne... I said, Wayne, you either buy me or I'll buy you. Which is it? I said, you buy me. Because, you know, it was it was 200 miles up there and trying to run it. I ran myself ragged when I did take it over. That's the reason Speedway 95 is in business. Because John Susie and uh, the guy from Augusta, uh, from Lewiston, the promoter, big-time promoter. They promoted... Uh, the big boxer there. The one that Muhammad Ali? Yeah. Okay. That,
0: oh, that fight in Lewiston. Yeah. So you end up with the track anyway.
1: Be- well, the f- he forgot to pay me. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah. so
1: I took it over, which I shouldn't have. No. Because, you know. What would you have done today with
0: that information that you've or experience that you've had? Well, I
1: would never have sold him. It's interesting because Spud put a lot of people through their doors in the beginning days. A lot of them. And, and Wayne I say ruined it but he had so much money in his trunk he told me one time that's the reason Speedway 95 got going anyway I ran Bangor also for Chimbro of course I changed the fence around quickly there too
2: and then, of course, you had combina- a lot of combination stuff, including the championship that Stan and Norris put on a hell of a show doing uh, between Bangor and Unity for a car, the Gremlin. Yeah, You could have picked a nicer-looking car to do that with, you know. Well, that was uh, the Emerson uh, Motors. Yeah, I remember Bobby Merrill's sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course,
1: Lawrence is still a... I don't know if he's still working at anyway he worked for a long time for Hartley. well they had their yeah. own dealership and he went with Hartley's there in the corner yeah.
2: well that was good for everybody though Yeah,
1: chance to go after something like that and, I, well a fan got one too you know I bought. that's right I forgot about that I bought a pair of them for $2500 through,
2: through American Motors a fan which, got one and Stan beat Norris by about two points or something yeah. and he got one and then the next year, Bobby Merrill
1: was the champion. Yeah, I remember that. And Kelly, his wife, went upside down beside
2: where's Bobby's
1: car. <laughs> what year did you start your relationship with the Petties? Well, it came about in 67. I'm sitting in the pits. And, you know, Richard is, you know, right there, right beside of me. And I said, Richard, he didn't have, he was having a problem with Chrysler then and I said, Richard, there's nothing on your back door your back panel you interested in something and it's like hmm, never thought of it and he said, give me a few minutes and I'll be back he went out on the track, had a few laps and Dale Inman, his crew chief and Maurice, his brother and then, then of course he came back in and uh, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to put Unity Raceway, Unity Main on your car. And, geez, he said, it's kind of late doing it. But anyway, they they took care of the paint job and all that stuff. So yeah. as, as I understand it, um, Richard
0: and and Dale were gonna and Maurice maybe were going to uh, talk to you and said, come on back, and then you didn't show up. That's right. So, so can
1: you tell us that story? Well... He blew a motor mm-hmm. out there, and and Danny French was with me at the time, and we said, "Hell, we might as well go in because like that." So the next morning we go out to the track, and Richard said, "Hey, where were you? I was waiting on you."
0: So Richard Petty was waiting on you for hours. Yeah, cause and you didn't think he was going to show up.
1: That's right, and I said to him, "I said, well, you blew a motor." He says, "I just drive him. I don't fix him." <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, it all works well together. Yeah, it did. And he and and no, we we I should have kept the friendship going better than I did. But I have you been in touch with him in the last say twenty years? No, I haven't, and I should be. And we sat in in Mayor Curley's big Chrysler limo that that Chrysler had given. Uh, Richard that year
0: because he had won. 1967 was the year that Richard won all those races. I
1: mean, he won 200 races. He what won he won 100 that year, I think. No, nah, okay. not that it, year, but he'd right. gone to 100. Yeah, they, he won 28
2: or 30 races that year, and I think 10 12 or 13. Yeah, was it 10? 10 in a row? Even more than that. Yeah.
1: Okay, but but the second year, I have a letter where they asked me if I'd like to do it again, and I did it. I did it two years in a row. And then Tiny London, of course, was a great competitor of ours. And then, uh, well, I can remember <laughs> coming out of the parking lot at Daytona one day. And we got, let uh, see, Andretti and Tiny. We raced them out of the parking lot. You did? Well, I can't remember Danny was driving my car or Joanne or yeah. somebody was. But you're racing Mario Andretti, yeah. essentially. On, out of the parking lot. Doesn't matter. You're racing Mario <laughs> <Yeah>. Andretti. <laughs> yeah. I have a picture with Andretti and... Tiny. T- uh, Kale and... She's Andretti, mm. Kale. Yeah. Pale. Petty, I think. I think that's who's in it. Who won? Andretti (laughs) I had to ask And and then Andretti you know Tiny was driving number 42 For Petty that year Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess Tiny had a good chance of winning But Andretti put a little Water down on the exhaust system And so Tiny backed off
2: It made made a lot of smoke Like the motor was blowing up Wetting the exhaust pipes that was right
1: around the
0: time that Pete Hamilton was coming around, too, I believe. What was your relationship with Pete, if any?
1: Well, Pete used to... He went to the University of Maine. I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't. And he used to come to Unity on Sunday afternoon and stand by the fence up on the grandstand. And I never really met him, only through Richard there, because he ran the 42, I think it was, there, too. Mm-hmm. Did Richard ever seek
0: out advice on Pete? Like, should we hire this guy? Or? No, no. No, no?
1: No, Petty's have their own <laughs> ideas. Yeah. And but I have a nice picture of of uh, Richard Petty's father. I call it a nice picture anyway. Before he went over. Well, we're standing at uh, Daytona that day when. And of course, it took quite a while for them to decide whether. are we talking about the
0: 1959 daytona 500 the very first one
1: that's the first one right
0: yeah where they had the photo finish and it took until wednesday yeah so did they really know who won that race and just maybe you know in the pr sense of things kind of dragged it out a little bit
1: if I know but (laughs) it sounds like a good story it sure
0: enough does doesn't it
1: I I remember this Jim and I the last race they did on the beach we went down six of us in my car from Baltimore and we got there and the tickets were six dollars on the beach would you believe we went and got a case of beer and went to the motel (laughs) instead didn't go to the Race! Wow. Went drove all the way down there. To,
0: and you just drank beer in a hotel room instead of going to the Great American Race? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> a true
1: race fan. Yeah, no, that's not,
0: <laughs> We <laughs> identify with that. Like, no, <laughs> no one's like... No one thinks it's a bad idea. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: man.
0: Yeah. So the Tiny Lund story, was there one specific one that you wanted to tell?
1: He was supposed the, to have been
0: back at Unity that day.
2: Yeah, the day he died, he was scheduled to race at Unity, and he got an opportunity to race at Talladega, so we... Didn't come to unity.
0: Do you remember that day and getting
1: that news, Bob? I
2: heard it like that, too, but...
1: You know, he was... Well, he was... He was a heck of a a promoter's dream. I picked him up in Boston with a Chimbro plane. Well, he worked his... You know, he worked for for the promoter then. Mm. And his people... He flew into Boston. I picked him up there, and his car was coming in from South Carolina, I think. And two of the boys that were working on it were from Massachusetts. And I remember we blew, they blew it, Bangor. And then they came to Unity and worked all night on it. The car in the shop there at Unity. And then Unity, he banged onto Ralphie for 99 laps... And then on that number two corner, Ralphie went straight. Tiny (laughs) tricked up the checker. Yeah. And he says, was that what I was supposed to do, (laughs) boss?
2: I was invited to go to Rockingham, anywhere they wanted to go. I don't know if you said it, but do you mind saying what that cost at that point? $750. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, twice he did it.
1: So
0: during the 70s, um, you know, we've had other people on the podcast, too, that have uh, mentioned that, you know, the national stars would do a northern swing and they'd come to unity. How did, uh, and that happened under your watch. How did that all come together? Guys like Bobby Allison and Tiny Larry. That was under
1: Ralphie. Ralphie did that one. But I had to take Bobby to the airport afterwards, that first lap. And he was a, not a happy camper. Because, mm. see, I used to have my own 180 up to the Pittsfield Airport. And and Ralphie came to me because Bobby flew in there with his little single-engine plane also. And he said, uh, uh, Ralphie, I wanted to know if I had an account up there. And I said, yeah. He said, would you let Bobby fill it up and I'll take care of you. And I did. And then when Bobby crashed first lap I think it was he ended up oh uh, well, he wasn't a happy camper but I mm. you know he just got in his plane and took off no no friendly talk at all with Bobby <laughs> and Bobby came out of Miami originally then he came up to Alabama with the Alabama game there mm. and then I remember when Richard and I we were having dinner together there at the tent. And Richard didn't like the lobsters. And he said, I don't like your little red fishes. <laughs> <laughs> the crustaceans. <laughs> okay. So you you mentioned
0: Oxford. Bobby Allison um, and the Bears were running Oxford at that point. Um, did you have a relationship with uh, with the Bear family? Pretty good. Huh?
2: You had a great relationship with Bob for a long time, I believe, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I had it with both of them, actually. Yeah. More so with Dick than Richard and Bob, but
1: Bob was was you know he 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 uh, he answered a question with an answer with a question.
2: I don't think you mind talking about this. We used to have a hundred lap open every other week up here when things were rolling. Then you invited Dick Bear yeah, to come he, watch it. What happened then?
1: Well, the, he went home and told Bob what I was doing and evidently that's how the getty open started right afterwards
2: (laughs) so that was kind of like the seed for the getty open
0: the precursor to the 250 yeah Yeah. so the idea let's just say the seed for the 250 what's become uh you know the richest short track one day race in america came from you your mind and and union v raceway
1: well anyway i don't say it that way but
0: well, think of it that way. Yeah. So what was the purpose? What was your purpose for doing those open shows? What was the draw? Was it for the fans? Was it to get new customers?
1: Well, we did quite well over them.
2: Okay. Got was, some of the greatest drivers in the state of Maine yeah, now yeah. on any given Sunday. And, and from New England, it yeah, was, yeah. you know, Rosati would come. Uh, Tommy Rosati, John John in the famous 36 car and and Dion would come McCabe would come uh, you had Homer Drew you had Dickie Walsenhume I mean they just every level of of successful racer came to Unity for those 100 lap opens at any time
1: and we and we you know it was good to us it was good to the racetrack and stuff but I got so that I hated the racetrack as I started to tell you before And then main x-ray was coming along just so much faster than I had ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. I was doing, you know, millions of dollars there. And, And then I found myself worn out from everything. And I'd go down there on a Saturday, sit on a little John Deere tractor I had with an old cigar that I chewed on, and I didn't smoke, but I chewed on them, just for my <laughs> pacifier. And I said, you know, this is—I'd go home, and I'd make—I'd ask Regine to bring the money down and stuff. And I found that I was taking my shower and dragging my feet longer and longer every week. And she had to open the shows up and stuff because it was just getting to me. I guess
0: was that the only time that your mind was able to shut off when you were out there on the John Deere tractor?
1: I think so. I, I think I I thought of a lot of crazy things that I did there.
0: Mm. And then, um, why did you call it Maine X-ray? That seems like such a basic. Why didn't I think of that name? It's it's so obvious. It became so successful. What caused that? As a, why'd you bring that? Up? Why didn't you name it
1: after yourself? Well, the people loved it, and I had a logo on it. Maine, the state of Maine. Mm. And we picked up probably 95% of the business in Maine.
0: So what was your pitch? What made Maine x ray so successful?
1: Worked hard. Worked a little harder than the other people. I can remember, well, I had a call one night, one afternoon from Don Wood. Now, I didn't think the racetrack helped me this much, but it did. People knew who Bob Knowles was. And like when I built Spud Don was the chief tech at Caribou and uh, anyway I I called on him a couple times and didn't have any success but he says I know who you are but then like one day he called one of my competitors picker x-ray and they didn't come so he called me and he said Bob can you come up I said, when? He said, right now. So I picked up from Patton all the way to Northern Maine. Wow. All in one whack. Because Don controlled it all.
0: I heard from a third party. Um, part of your salesmanship was remembering everybody's name and being
1: personable with your with your customers. Well, I tried to be very personal with them all. They was not just customers. I... My first customer is still here with me now, and my friend, Dennis Dodge. All the major hospitals, and even in Vermont and New Hampshire, like Dartmouth, Hitchcock, University of Vermont, right down in Rutland, all of them. But we delivered, and when I decided to sell it, meeting with Eddie Parker, as I said, and he ended up, uh, well, you know, he'd go into... Mass General leave fifty thousand dollars worth of film, and I'd have to go to Fort Kent leave four to five thousand dollar film. Hmm. So I figured, eh, hell, they got to be making a lot more money than I am. I said, I'm doing these many millions of dollars. I says, I know you do a lot more, and you probably do a lot better. But this is what I have. I says, you're not going. T- I'm not going to tell you anything more. Just my total. And he took it. Hmm. And and I said, now I realize that you're you're in a better position than I am to, make, but when we got all done down, I found out I was doing a half percent better than they were because I think our managing style. Eddie was a fluboyant, you know, third generation, and because we owned every vehicle that we ever had out there, Eddie leased them. So you had lower overhead. I th- and he, you know, he. Well, I went from main x-ray to the one in Pitchfield 20,000 square foot building Mm. They all lease buildings I own my buildings And I thought that they were good investments And they were
0: Never build your castle on someone else's sand
1: That's a good way of putting it, I would think And I I also, I don't know if You know or not, I have another business too I don't, so please. Yeah. Well, we have a... We were suppliers of chemical. Now, we're in a dying business because of the digital. Mm. But we went to bed with Fuji here a few years ago. And Fuji is, is an amazing company. They have the equipment, they have the digital, and they also have the graphic arts, industrial, chemical as well. So we're doing a U.S. there, chemical. So how busy are you today? Well, <laughs> I don't think very much, but my daughter does. Yeah. I'm building houses now. Building houses. Yeah, high-end houses. I have four more lots in Florida to build.
0: To rewind just a little bit, uh, in 1979, you and and Regine sell Unity. Uh, I assume it was
1: your idea and not hers yeah well, she wanted it. she didn't really care for the racing really no. for someone that was uh
0: so steadfast involved. and 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 such yes. a supporter that whole time uh why why in 1979 was it just was it just time I was just so exhausted mm. and main x-ray was you know so did you did you look back? Um, Once you were out in 1979,
1: how involved with racing have you been since? Not till just now. Really? And I wished I'd uh, taken it over and made it what I thought it should be now.
0: So does 1960 Bob Knowles think differently than 2021 Bob Knowles in relation to promotion and how to run a racetrack?
1: No, not that way. No? Just the, uh, well, I could, you know, I had to do everything in my old days. I helped put that fence up.
0: So what would you do differently today?
1: Promoting? Mm.
0: Or owning a racetrack, the whole thing. If if you were to get back involved,
1: what's the key to success? Well, I think you have to have it clean, and you have to have advertising. And I don't think anybody's doing that much in the area
2: yeah I think he's right I think a lot of people spend all their time on uh, a Facebook page or something and even some of the tracks did for a while it's changed a little but you know you were out there on the radio, the newspaper, wherever there was a a vehicle to ride to promote your racetrack you did it during the week I think you could read about Unity on Monday, Friday and Saturday if you were riding around in your car wondering what to do Saturday morning Unity had promotions a lot of the time to your point they get on social media like and a lot of people are there but it's still not reaching out in a lot sure. of other you're areas you're just
0: talking to the people who might go to your racetrack anyway you're not growing your audience no, by just doing right. it on Facebook
1: yeah. you're yeah. basically you're in your own cocoon yeah. mm-hmm. and then of course we had to I had to deliver the write ups for the following race and the advertising so when we went mm-hmm. to Hot Top it gave me more time to do what I had to do to make it work because I, well, I believed in promoting. I really did. And, but I didn't think I did when I sold it. I was reading my write-up the other day. Oh. And, and I said I'd rather build than promote. Yeah, well, you I, got it. I think I like both of them, really.
2: You did well for the era. I mean, there's so many other ways to look at it now and, yeah. and, and do it. But f- for that era, you did as well as anybody I've ever been around.
0: What does unity mean to you today? <clears throat>
1: Oh, man. That's a loaded question. Well, I got time. Well, anyway, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Ralph has put a nickel in it since I sold it to him. And I had painted it after he... After I closed it, I was painting it. Because I believed... Well, look around you. You can tell me I I like things perfect. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. And I have that way in my homes Mm -hmm. in Florida, too. I... uh, the last ones I have I just sell them pre-sell them before they're finished so they're buying your reputation well I don't know if that but I just you know I, I have a nice builder first one I had Regine my wife nicknamed him Leith the thief because he came in at a million six hundred thousand on my bid cost me two point seven to to get out of it million yeah over a million dollars off on it. And the guy I have now is, he's, well, he's just an honest man. He's a Swede from the West Coast. If you could give any advice to Joey Doyon,
0: who's taken over Unity and certainly has a lot of uh, work in front of him, has the support of the racing community, uh, what advice would you give him, knowing what you know?
1: Well, I hate to say it, but... He's got a partner there, I think, that he shouldn't have because mm. they've burned everybody so far, and that's Ralphie. And the, and Ralphie doesn't realize what he's doing. I mean, he thinks he does, but I don't think he's a real promoter as such. In other words, he leaves all that junk out front. People see that. The average person who, yes. who's
0: never been to a racetrack, and they already have that in their mind of, well, racing's just a dirty, you know, it's just a bunch of grease monkeys, yep. you know, going around in circles. That's not who you want to attract. You want to attract the dentist. You want to talk to. You want to attract the guy from the, you know, who's going to buy your X-rays and bring their family to the
1: track. Well, I used to go out like the Lions Club and the corners wow. and talk and stuff in yeah. the beginning days, and of course I. Started the governor's race. I had, then you know, I had John Reed there twice. I have a letter from uh, Ken Curtis in my file, where you know the Richard Petty deal and stuff mm-hmm. like that. How I, I don't know if you knew it or not, but when Richard got the hundredth uh, win, half sheets that Chrysler had out, you know, big sheets.
0: Mm-hmm
1: in their dealerships all over the United States and stuff. Those big half sheets. I had a call from from Vegas, a guy out there. Where the hell's Union Raceway? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Um, how about some other people that have come through over the years? You know, what, I, what I've learned from, from speaking to you is, you know, the people who have been loyal to you at the racetrack, some of the different stars like a Dave Darbo or Pete Silva or George Silva um, you know, the Burgess family as well. Um, what what have those people meant to
1: you? Well, they mean a lot more to me now than they did then, I can tell you that. Because, well, I tried not to be friends, I tried not to be friends with anybody at the racetrack. Because, you know, you're automatically, you're, you're favoring Pete, you're favoring Harold, mm. a butcher, you know, this one, that one. So I purposely stayed away from it, like that.
2: People going through that place and how we felt about them. I've been fortunate enough to have been around a little bit and go to a lot of places. That place, the layout of the track and the way it was run, it, it developed some pretty incredible race car drivers across the board. And you know, you, you talk, just stand Reserve, okay. Ralph Nason, Dave Davo, Dana Graves, Fuzzy yeah. Holden, Norris Willard. You can Brad Joseph, Bobby Merrill. Ron Lee, uh, I know I'm leaving people out. and I'll think of them all driving down the road. But the point is, everybody there was probably capable of winning more places than just Unity. And when you showed up to learn the race, there weren't many scraps laying around to get because those guys had it all tied up. They were just good.
1: I said I used to say if you ran Unity and you win, you could win about anywhere. And for instance, Ray Fanning. Remember we talked about Ray yeah. and the deal half and half, there, that thirty guy yeah. that there. I can remember in Daytona one time. He'd raced the night before in Jacksonville. And he worked down the East Coast, you know, as a as a as a junky cow owner like Mac Tilson.
2: Well, I think you're right, you could race anywhere, and I left out the biggest name. The only guy in Maine that's ever won a Winston Cup race, Ricky Craven. Yes. Yeah. Too young to remember, I guess.
0: Well no, Ricky came a few years after uh, or do you have any memories of Ricky from, oh, yeah. from his, what were your memories of him?
1: Well, I used to give him tires.
0: <laughs> ah. So you were still involved with the racetrack even after you, you stopped. I, I came there
1: once yeah. to see Ricky race with my friend Jim. And Ricky put it through that night. He won it, but he shouldn't have. Defi- I mean, <laughs> man, he, he he drove his hell off to, yep. to get there, I'll tell you.
0: Is this Jim? Jim from Baltimore? Dating back to you? yeah. Do you are you still friends with him today? Is he still around? Well,
1: he's passed he's on. Passed, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And, but his son was here. Uh, he's a PhD doc, and when the fires of Baltimore happened, Jimmy's uncle had a candy store down in the heart of Baltimore, and they tried to tell him, "Don't get down in there." And Jim, and he'd say, Jim. They all hurt me. I'm their friends. And they never did. They'd burn a building right next to it, but not his. Because he was that kind of a guy. Mm.
0: So when you, uh, when you go by Unity today, and um, you know you mentioned Regine, who's passed um, within the last year, do you, when you drive by, do you think of the time that you two spent there and, and what that place has meant to you, your marriage, your bond?
1: Well... We had a lot of hours there together, mm. and she was a well she was a worker, and I guess that 's why I loved her so well, and her daughter is too mm. I mean there uh, I think anybody knew Ray Jean would know she held her up her end right, Chris, yes. <laughs>
2: oh yeah. yeah,, she was as big a part of it as anybody ever was. Mm.
1: Now you're you were the announcer at the ridge is that true? Uh
0: that is true.
1: Yes. Is, you, you just got through the other night or.
0: Oh yeah. They uh they I had no idea this was going to happen and 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 he made his announcement in front of a 1000 people and then lit off some fireworks and gave me the mic says, "Hey, go hand out some trophies." You know. Yeah. So that was uh, that was one of the most awkward positions I've ever been in because much like you and speaking to different families, uh, the family, of the, the racing family, those are my friends. Those are, I, I got to yeah. look those guys in the eye, and all of them. And because you have to be a professional, so you can't show emotion. You can't show what's going on inside right here and how pissed off you are. Yeah, yeah. And then if you don't do that, the double edged sword is well that guy knew the whole time. How come you didn't tell me? So it was well, the most awkward position that I'd ever been in. But we got through it, and um, it's just an experience I'll remember for the rest of my life.
1: How long was you there, Andy?
0: 28 years.
1: So you were there with Cal and stuff.
0: No, I had met him, and he's just a tall drink of water. What <laughs> a man. Uh, but no, I did not work with him uh, one-on-one. Uh, Andy Ralph hired me uh, in
1: 1993. Because I remember... Cal would, well, I remember him saying to somebody, "Where did you get these ideas?" And he said, "Bob Knowles, <laughs> stuff fellow we used to chump together a little bit there
0: but I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your day before you head to Florida and the beautiful sunshine and all the high end houses to um you know to spend some time and telling your story. so it's meant a lot to us and myself and the organization.
1: Well, thank you, sir." Andy Yes sir
0: Never forget a name I want to thank Bob I want to thank the entire Knowles family We had a, a group of five Or six of us Sitting in that massive Living room Which explains the echo But um, you know It was just really neat To sit back and, and just talk to Bob And learn all about that it I mean fascinating Gentleman Next time out, a, well, relative spring chicken. We head to the Midcoast area, team up with Ken Monet, and bring you Scott Shabbat Tell me about the first time that you remember Stan Meserve standing in front of you saying, hey, do this, or no, you was, did that. it was
2: intimidating. The first race I won in 95 in the Pro Stock, it was early in the season. We were all lined up behind him, and he had a flat right rear tire, and the whole field was intimidating and just slowed down forever. <laughs> And then I finally stepped out and passed him easy because he was slowing down because of Italia, But Of course you did. Yeah.
0: Stage number one of Scott Chibok on Open Trailer Podcast. Next time out, I'm Andy Austin. Thank you for listening. Share, tell a friend, spread the word. Greatly appreciated. Have a good one.